Welcome to the Same Side Selling Podcast, dedicated to modern sales and marketing, innovation, and leadership. Here's your host, Ian Altman. Hey, it's Ian Altman. We're joined this week by technology strategist and futurist Crystal Washington. Crystal regularly appears on major television networks and in business publication, and she is the author of two books, One Tech Action and The Social Media Why. We're going to discuss the greatest misconception when it comes to the intersection of technology and sales, what you really need to consider when trying to improve efficiency, and how your brand message and social media overlap. You're going to learn a ton from Crystal Washington. Crystal Washington, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Ian. You bet. Can you start by sharing something surprising about you that our audience may not know? So I was a successful salesperson for many years before I became a speaker. And in speaking, uh, my business grew very fast because of my sales acumen, but I actually hate sales. Really? Well, we're not going to hold that against you, even though it's the same side selling <laughs> podcast. But my guess is that you still are wildly successful selling. It just doesn't feel like selling. Exactly. Exactly. And so, so on that level, I'm sure we're on the, uh, on the same side there. Can you share with our audience the greatest misconception that people have about the intersection of technology and sales? Because I know this is an area that you've got deep expertise. Well, I think a lot of people believe that the more technology we utilize, the more we should automate things in our sales processes. I take a very opposite approach. Yes, there's room for some level of automation, but I think in the new world that we are moving into right now, relationships matter more than ever. And so I'm a bigger fan of us using technology as a prompt for person-to-person interaction. Beautiful. So, so let's dive into, into that a little bit more, because I think one of the things that we see is people see some new technology and they think, oh, this is great. Wow. Now I can do all this at scale. Mm-hmm. And then on the receiving end, it feels like spam. It does. I don't know if your family does this, but sometimes there's those family members that, you know, there's a happy Easter, or Merry Christmas, and there's a text to 30 people and they all start responding And it's terrible because maybe you're on the West Coast, so it's five in the morning. You don't feel special. You don't feel loved. When we get those emails that say, hey, you know, Crystal, and you know it's like fill in the blank. You know, it's the little contact name that goes in there. You you know what the deal is. And so to think that our clients are not aware is is disingenuous and and really just short-sighted. So, so how, do you, how do you think this has come about? Because I guarantee that the people who invented the technology didn't say, oh, here's this great technology that can make everything less personal. No, no. They, they probably thought the fact that they could include all of these, you know, the name, and then the more they open different emails, you can put in all this individual information that applies to the person. They thought, oh, it's going to make it look like a real human did this. The thing is that our, our consumers, our customers, our clients, they're all becoming more savvy. And so how do we use technology to be more human? That's the question I ask from the stage. That's the question I ask my clients. How do we use technology to be more human? Okay, so, so we've got all these different tools at our disposal. So what are some of the things that people should be looking at differently? And how can they use these tools to make themselves more efficient mm-hmm. and at the same time maintain that human contact? So I think when we look at efficiency, we have to be very careful. 
not to put efficiency before customer experience. So I'll give you an example. Anyone who's listening to us right now, Ian, has had the wonderful opportunity to contact their cable service provider and be directed through a million different bots and channels and recordings until you finally get to a real human. That is more efficient for the company. It has definitely eroded the customer experience. Meanwhile, if you're to go to Vegas right now at some of the casinos, they have uh, technology now where you give them your cell phone number and you're, you're able to use a bot. So maybe you get to your room and you're thinking, what time does XYZ restaurant close? Well, you don't really want to pick up the phone and wait for someone to answer. That's, that actually doesn't make your experience better. You can use that bot and type in what time does the restaurant close? What time does the fitness center close? Where is the fitness center? The bot will answer. Well, now that's increased efficiency, yes. Now it's, it's taking time away from the people having to answer those calls, but it actually makes the customer experience better. And so I'm of the opinion that efficiency, company efficiency, should never outweigh the user experience of the client. So we want to make sure that's in balance at all times. That's beautiful. So, so when someone is introducing technology, when they're introducing some response system, what should they be thinking about? How should they evaluate whether or not this initiative that they're rolling out is a good idea or is it going to suck them into the vortex of evil? So there's a few different levels to this. You know, sometimes people actually don't do client testing first, which is amazing to me. You need to do customer testing and get some feedback from some of your customers on your thoughts. But the other thing that I see, especially with larger organizations that bring me in, Ian, and I'm sure you've seen this too, is that they don't actually include different levels of their team in the decision-making process. The fact of the matter is, it's not just management that needs to be in on that decision or upper-level management. Those line people, those individual salespeople, those people that are in charge of delivery of the service, whatever, they see every single day what clients and customers have going on. And so they have sometimes even more valuable input than senior level management because they understand the hiccups are going to happen in the implementation. Also, depending on the size of the organization we're looking at, Ian, Sometimes we make things more efficient for upper level management, but we're actually eroding the internal customer experience of the people within our companies that have to put it into practice as well. So we need to make sure that we're actually soliciting diverse opinions, diverse in terms of their rankings, in terms of their backgrounds, in terms of their experiences. You know, that's, that's brilliant insight. One of the things that I think about is that very often in organizations, they'll say, for example, to the sales organization, here's the information that we, we need to collect from our customers. We need to know all this information. So those people in the sales force, we want all of these men and women in our sales force to now go out and collect all of these data elements for us because our marketing department wants to know, are they right-handed or left-handed? Um, do, they, what, do they prefer um, a serif or sans-serif font? And it's all these little piece of minutia that really don't matter. Mm-hmm. And accordingly, all of a sudden, the internal people feel like their job has become data collection yes. rather than actually reaching out to customers. And then I think people extend that then to the customer and say, well, gee, our people in sales don't want to collect this information. I know we'll send out a survey because I'm sure yes. that'll build a relationship. <sighs> <laughs> who hasn't had one of those surveys? And usually, I don't know about you, Ian, I'm a, you know, I'm, I'm a team player, right? So I'm like, okay, I use their services. Somewhere around question number 
13, I'm like, get out of here. And I just close out. Like, there's a point where I'm not going to go. Or they ask a question that seems too invasive. Like, there's always that point where it starts off fine. And then it's like, it's not your business. Click. You know? yeah. <laughs> so. and, then, and then you shut it down. In fact, one of the things, so I was, I was advising a client of mine, and they were going through the survey. And they had the survey that was massive. And I looked mm-hmm. at it, and I said, okay. Here's, here's the challenge I have for you. And I'm interested to get your thoughts on this. What I said to them, I said, with each question, what you have to ask yourself is, depending on the answer to that question, what are you going to do as a business? And if the answer is, I'm not going to change anything based on the answer to this question, then I don't need to ask that question. The other thing is that if you give somebody multiple choices and there are eight different options, what you have to ask yourself is, okay, within each question, if the answer to number three and the answer to number five would give the same outcome for you, mm-hmm. then combine them together because there's no point in a- asking a question that isn't going to change your actions. Well, the other issue that can come up also with multiple choice questions, Ian, is that it's already boxing people in to a limited number of solutions or answers. I'm a big fan of open-ended questions. Now I realize for data purposes, again, I'm you know, I'm a futurist, so I understand the importance of, of, of data, right? But I also think that companies would do well sometimes to just ask open-ended questions. You know, is there anything that would make this service better? Is there anything, any place that we've fallen short where we might not even know about that you think we should know? And then after someone takes the time to write a mini essay, because people will, because now it's just open-ended. They're, they care about what you think have a real human contact them and say, you know what? We just appreciate you and say something. So they know it's not a bot say something. So they know that it's not automated response, have a real email signature at the end. If they respond back and say, Oh, I can't believe you responded. Have them answer back with a little joke or something cutesy to show that they're human. Of course we would. We value you, blah, 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 joke, whatever. So I think again, using the technology to be more human right now, it's so easy to, to email people in mass. It's so easy to pop up a new business. It is not easy to build relationships. That takes time. That's a function of time. A- absolutely. And, and I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with Ryan Levesque's book, Ask, mm-hmm. where Ryan, Ryan talks about the single most important question, he says, is that question that, you know, you're asking people and you're getting the, the most detailed response you can get. So what he says is, look, the mistake that most people make is when they survey people, they look for the most frequently asked question. Instead, he says the real insight comes from the most detailed response. So the person who says, you know, if a whole bunch of people say, yes, I want to learn about growing my business, that's all good and well. It's the person who says, look, I've tried this. I've tried this. I've tried that. This didn't work. This didn't work. That didn't work. What am I missing? That's someone who's actually dedicated to finding the solution. The other people are just going for the lowest hanging fruit and they may not be committed to it. I agree. I mean, you want to talk about that. I remember when I was first starting off as a speaker within the first two years, Ian, I would do these surveys and, you know, get feedback on your talk. And I remember I had one talk where let's say there were a hundred people there because it really was almost exactly a hundred. Ninety-nine people like ranked me perfect. They love me. They're like, this is amazing. The last person shredded me, shredded me, hated me. But this person who could not stand me from just the, they gave this real detailed feedback about everything that was wrong with my presentation. And when I looked at it, there was one thing that they said that actually caused me to change the way I structured my presentations from that point on. And the clients who rehired me noticed the difference and said, oh my gosh, you're so much better. 
So I think what you're saying right there is perfect because there's always something you can draw out of that. And if someone takes the time to give you that detail to the answer, that passion, there's something in there that's usually usable. Yep. So, so what can, what can people learn if, if you're saying, okay, so I've got all this technology and I want to create that human connection. What are some of the steps that people can take to embrace technology in a way that improves that human to human connection rather than eroding it? Because I think that you're dead on right. So often people say, oh, well, we've got this new tool. Now -hmm. we're going to take the people out of the mix and it actually hurts things rather than makes it better. No, no, don't take the people out of the mix. I actually think with technology, the more data you have, the more people you need, which is totally opposite of what is the standard mode of thinking. But now you have information you can act on. So if you know they like this, this or that, sending them an email, sending them a handwritten note, even using a tool like TouchNote or send out cards where part of it is automated, it's being mailed, but it can be a very customized note with a human element to it. So I think finding ways to create tangible, and that's, that's the important piece, right? Tangible customer outreach elements. And I don't mean post, I don't mean like those, um, you know, just mailing out mailers about your services, but what kind of cards can you send out? What kind of emails can you send out that are personalized, that are acknowledging that, you know, their kid's birthday or that this or that happened over here? Those little things make a difference. Now, again, it does matter on, it does make a difference what your industry is, okay? Because if Comcast sends me a message saying, hey, I noticed on your post the other day, that was so cute with you and your nephew at the mall. That's spooky. I don't want Comcast (laughs) watching me. That's weird. Um, However, someone that I have a little bit more of a personal relationship with, maybe even a business coach, I don't know, that makes more sense, right? So we have to think about what's appropriate. I don't want anyone to come off as Orwellian in their approach, right? <laughs> but, sure. But um, yes, what, what little things can you do to make the interaction a little bit better? Well, and, and it's interesting because you and I both travel a lot in, in, in our work, not, um, not in the world of the, uh, the pandemic, but prior to and afterwards, we travel <laughs> right. a lot. And, and my daughter was studying abroad in Cali, Colombia. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and all of a sudden it was like, okay, we, we've got to get her back home now. Right. And I reached out to someone I've dealt with at the airline, it happened to be United Airlines. And United Airlines gets a lot of grief from a lot of people. And uh, I reached out to somebody and I said, hey, Rachel's in Colombia. We need to get her home. She was originally supposed to come back in June. Um, do you have any suggestions on the best path for me to take? Mm-hmm. And the person responded about 10 minutes later and said, um, as soon as you know when she can travel, let me know and I'll take care of it. And I yeah. thought to myself, a company that's going through what they had to be going through mm-hmm. in the pandemic for someone in customer service to say, I got you. Yes. All of a sudden, I just, I, I said, I said to my wife, I said to Deborah, I said, all right, they just built a ton of goodwill. So now if someone's trashing them, I'm going to be like, whoa, 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 let me tell you a story about what they did. And it wasn't yeah. like, and guess what? I guarantee if I'd gone through all the hoops because they had waived their change fees and everything, I probably could have gotten it done, but it was a code share on another airline and it was just all sorts of complications. I'd heard horror stories of people waiting on hold for four hours Mm. and in a few emails back and forth, all of a sudden I get the confirmation of a new flight and I thought, wow, that was really great. And the funny part is that in terms of the resources for the airline, Mm -hmm. 
it took them less time to do that transaction mm -hmm. than other ones. Mm. The other thing I want to get your, your insight into is this, is that there are a lot of companies that will say, oh, here's our Twitter presence. Here's our Facebook presence. Mm -hmm. And then the trap that I see them fall into is they say, here's our Twitter presence. And then all of a sudden you DM them and, and ask a question in Twitter and there's no response. Yeah. So how should, how should companies look at those sorts of ways to interact and what are the mistakes that you see them making? Well, if you're going to be there, you need to be monitoring. And I think many years ago, British Airways had this issue. They were the first airlines to have um, a huge PR crisis when they lost someone's luggage or someone's parents' luggage. And um, the person was like a, a, a publicist in New York. And he was not getting the responses he needed from the airlines. They were basically like, oh, eventually it'll show up, hopefully. And if not, you know, we'll give you $200. And his parents' medication was in there. It was a hot mess. And so he got so frustrated that he took out an ad on Twitter to talk about how horrible the airlines was. Within just a few hours, it was picked up by, I think, over 16,000, like 16,000 people interacted with the post. It was carried by BBC. It was on NBC. It was, it was across the globe. <laughs> and then like 15 hours later, British Airways responded and said, oh, we're not 15, maybe seven. Oh, we're so sorry. Our hours of operate are, are monitoring our Twitter account from this time to this time. And we're just now on, so we're seeing your no, yeah. now, we can't all be airlines, Ian, you know, but I think that if you're going to direct people towards Twitter, especially because that is the social network where people expect an immediate response, unlike Facebook or others, if you're going to use Twitter. You need to make sure that you're monitoring it. And there's tools you can use to alert you, send you text alerts or whatever uh, that when someone's talking about you or DMing, DMing you. If you don't have the capabilities of monitoring on that level, don't be on that social network. You know what? I, I often I often look at it as if you have social media and you're not being responsive, it's like having a customer service line that you don't answer. Mm. My, 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 other, my other pet peeve is the people who are using technology for automated voice response and they walk you through a tree and it's like, well, so if you're interested in this, press one. If you're interested. So then you go through all the steps and 10 minutes later it says, our office is currently closed. And you're like, oh, man. why didn't you tell me that at the beginning? Because I was okay jumping through the hoops if I knew I was going to get to somebody. And it's, <laughs> and, it's, and it's not like, oh, you got there, by the time you got through, it's 5.02 and they closed at 5. Mm -hmm. Like, why don't they start with the very first thing saying, thank you for calling so-and-so. Our hours of operation are this. If you're calling during, the, during those hours, yes. here are the prompts. If not, Hang up now because I got nothing for you. User experience. I'll give you another example that I think is very relevant to anyone listening right now, especially in this uh, atmosphere that we're dealing with right now. Okay. So I contact my gym to put a freeze on my account because I can't go to my gym. This is actually before they close two days later, but I can't yeah. go now anyways. It's a gyms are a Petri dish of nope right now. Right. So <laughs> I give them a call and I say, Hey, I need to freeze my account. Is this possible? They said, of course it is. We're going to, I'm going to email you a form right now. Oh, look, look at your email. Do you see it? Okay. Just sign this, return it. And then I'm going to confirm that it's done. I did it. Easy, Ian. Now I even told them, Hey, as soon as y'all are open, I know the freezes for, I think it was like three months. If y'all open a month from now or whatever, I'm in there. I love my gym. Ian, I did the same thing with my massage, uh, my massage membership. Subscription. Yeah. Let me tell you what happened. I had to call 
Then they gave me a number. They gave me an email address. I emailed that one twice over three days. Then I called again. Then they gave me another email address. I emailed this other email address. That person said, I'm so sorry. I can't help you. You need to call this number. Got two, uh, no, three busy signals. Emailed that other person back. I'm so sorry. I still can't help you. Call them back again. When I finally get someone in, I cancel. I've been a member with them for 11 years. 11 years, they have faithfully gotten money from me every single month. I was so frustrated. I said, you know what? I don't want to give you all any more of my money. And so I think we have to think again about customer experience. Yeah, and, and I think that's that's the thing. It's it's interesting. We're launching the Same Side Selling Academy. And part of it was that we created a whole series of test scripts that said, okay, so what's the experience like for somebody who is new to it and isn't a subscriber at all? What's the experience like for somebody who is registered for a course, but not the overall system? What's the experience for someone who attends a conference and has a preview code? Like, let's go through that experience, not from our perspective as the, as the provider, but from the customer's perspective. And it's interesting because as I was describing this to somebody, they said, well, so, so what about what what about how it is for your team and this and that? I said, we can work through any of those things mm-hmm. as long as the customer experience is great. If the customer experience isn't great, it doesn't matter how easy it is for us. Yes. You won't be able to you won't be able to pay your team. There's yeah. no money. <laughs> There's no money without customers. Exactly. And I and I think that's something that that often gets missed. So so if somebody is looking at technology. And they say, all right, we're, you know, gee, there's, there's big opportunities for us. We're going to implement CRM. We're going to implement digital marketing. We're going to implement um, different social media platforms. Mm-hmm. What, are, what are some of the steps that they should take? And I know that customer experience is one of them, but what are some of the steps that they should take to make sure that they're not doing something that's going to hurt the experience, but rather doing something that's going to make the experience better for everybody? Okay, outside of customer experience, I think they have to really seriously consider their brand and consider their brand voice because a lot of brands are confused. Um, Some are more like people. You know, they're funny, like Wendy's, for instance, right? Wendy's is a funny brand. If you interact with them online, you feel like you know them. They're they're a smart aleck, okay? That's that's the brand that they are. Uh, Some of them are helpful. Some of them are are like Wilson from, uh, what's that show with uh, the Tool Time Taylor or whatever, the, the neighbor Wilson who knows everything yeah. <laughs> that was directing you. Think about what your brand voice is and make sure that it's consistent across the board in everything that you do. That paired with user experience. Also, make sure that you're giving very clear directives. Humans need one thing to do, not eight things to do. So if you're trying to direct, if the next step after this is to call, or if the next step after this is to reevaluate or get a quote or whatever that is, make sure that you're being clear and directing them where they should go. Giving clients too many options is confusing. Um, So just making sure that you're leading them in the direction you want them to go and, and make sure that you're adding value. You know, we live in a day and age right now where everyone has content and is pushing content and everyone has services how are you actually adding value? Are you doing something different than your competitors? Are you making the sales, um, are, you, are you making it easier to do business with you? Are you providing them with more concise information? The other way that I'm co- probably a contrarian with most of my peers is I believe in micro content. I don't believe in putting out a whole bunch of long stuff. People have access to more information than ever before and their heads are going to blow off. That's, that's not what they need. Can you make this quick and easy? 
Can you turn this other person's eight page white paper? Can you get that same information in five sentences? If so, you win. And I'll pay you more for doing it. I don't want to pay more for more information if you can give me what I need in less time. Time is more valuable. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely brilliant. And I will tell my audience that if you have not had the pleasure of being in an audience where Crystal is speaking, you are missing out. So when you um when when you plan your next event, you should definitely be reaching out to Crystal. Crystal, what's the best way for people to connect with you and stay in touch with what you're doing? Crystalwashington.com. Crystal spelled like a rock crystal, Washington.com. You can get my email address on there, social media profiles, whatever you want. It's all in one place. Perfect. Thanks so much for sharing your wisdom. Thanks, Ian. Crystal shares so much great information. And if you ever have a chance to see her speak in person, don't miss the opportunity. Let me give you a quick recap of the key information you can apply to your business right away. First, efficiency is great, but not at the expense of customer experience. Second, when considering customer experience, engage members across the organization for input. And finally, give your audience clear directives with just one action while always delivering value. Please check out thesamesidesellingacademy.com and give me your thoughts. This show is designed around your goals. If you'd like me to cover a topic, just drop me a note to ian at ianaltman.com. Have an amazing week, add value, and grow revenue in a way everyone can embrace, especially your customer. Bye now.